0: Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. Artificial intelligence is one of the main drivers of the fourth industrial revolution. Today, we hear more about this technology from Richard Socher. I'm here with Richard Socher. He's the chief scientist at Salesforce. Richard, welcome.
1: Welcome, thanks for having me.
0: As the Chief Scientist at Salesforce, you have quite a, quite a range of different technologies that you can play with, discuss, talk about. What are you really putting front and center at, at this meeting, as important in, as uh, the theme of the meeting presents shaping the new architecture for the fourth industrial revolution?
1: The fourth industrial revolution is really about artificial intelligence, right? We've seen sort of in all of civilization uh, a move to become more and more efficient at all, like fulfilling the needs that people have. And AI is the latest and maybe the greatest level in automation and efficiency gains that we're seeing and in the long term that will be very exciting and just like over 150 years ago more than 90 percent of people worked in agriculture and most people now are pretty happy they don't have to manually work in the fields every day again 50 100 years from now People also wonder, oh, why did you just drive in a car all day from A to B and then back to B and then back to A? Like, that seems like not the fun thing to do, just like it doesn't seem fun to us now to work in the field. So I think right. long term, we'll see all these efficiency gains and we can do more interesting things, more unique things, more creative things that require empathy and really tell us about who we are as a species almost. At the same time, right now, efficiency gains and AI could exacerbate problems we already have in society, inequality and lack of diversity when it comes to making advances available to a broad set of people. It all gets amplified by AI in many ways. And so right. when when we see, for instance, divisions between people, well, it turns out that at the very depth of that, there's also an AI system, namely in recommendation engines. You look at certain kind of content online, and without wanting to single out to many different organizations or anyone in particular, it's very well known for YouTube, for instance, but also for Facebook and others, that once you look at one conspiracy theory, maybe vaccines don't work, before you know it, you'll be a flat earther who doesn't believe in vaccines become, according to the World right. Health Organization, a big health threat. and. You believe in all other kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. And that's because an AI system was optimized to maximize your clicks and maximize your engagement and views and minutes on whatever platform you're on. And it's gotten really good at that, making personalized recommendations.
0: So you create this vicious cycle in a sense. I think I remember that of the YouTube videos or the social media that we ingest online, 70% of it is media that's been recommended by someone else other than ourselves, driving us towards certain, like you said, narratives. Well, how can we then expand someone's horizon if you're talking about recommendations in this sense, you know, you're taking you down the, the rabbit hole of one particular perspective. What kind of algorithms or ways could you course correct for that and sort of open that individual up to a whole nother way of looking at the world and so expand their vision so that we could again you know as critical thinkers have more perspectives on the table to make decisions.
1: So I'd be happy to answer that but I want to say that this bias issue is very broad in almost every AI application and positive ones like medicine where if you train a classifier for predicting breast cancer on only white women it won't work for Asian women because the tissue looks different it's different consistency and so you need to be very conscious about what training data you give to your algorithms and what you're optimizing and so it happens in medicine it happens in banking if you try to predict uh, who should get a loan or not or a credit line or will somebody pay back their credit and your data may come from banks that did redlining in the past in the united states where they didn't want to give loans to, to black people if you take that historic data and now you're training with that you have a very biased algorithm that will perpetuate certain biases if you try to do a prediction of who should get a promotion in your supermarket chain. And we know that statistically speaking, women are discriminated when it comes to promotions to be store managers and things like that. An AI that picks up those patterns and is then trained to automate certain kinds of behaviors or even just give recommendations in the judicial system and so on, and not the final decision, but you know, many people just go with the default recommendation of some automated system, then you will also have these huge bias issues. So there are technical solutions for that, but a lot of times you also just need to be very carefully thinking for some of it, not for all of it, and you need to be very carefully thinking about the training data that is being fed to AI. AI is only as good as the training data that it gets. and it doesn't make sense to regulate all of AI and think about AI in the abstract. You always need to think about AI plus X. So coming to the AI with X of being information and media, you can actually also use AI to identify different viewpoints on similar issues. And once you realize somebody is only ever in one viewpoint of an issue or in one social circle and sees only sort of their own echo chamber, you could start to infuse other ones. Now, Of course, it's a really, really tough problem, right? Like a lot of times both sides say the other side is biased, the other side is wrong. And then maybe they hate your platform, you lose customers and so on. They see some left-wing or right-wing person they think is like the end of the world. And at the same time, some issues, there is another side. But maybe it doesn't make sense to always talk about another side if you talk about evolution. Maybe you don't, this is my personal advice, (laughs) you don't have to talk about intelligent design um, because, you know
0: well it's interesting because as a as a cultural species we grew up with biases all around us all the That's time right. and those communities that have lived in small let's say mountain valley environments if they stay just in that valley then they're isolated from other valley cultures and from a larger their languages change
1: and so on right the
0: language is changing and you lose the ability to communicate with others so you know how can we create ai algorithms and so with a language that speaks globally almost like you know a babylon that has all these different perspectives or perspectives from all the different mountain valleys. Throughout our sort of cultural evolution, societies have been relatively isolated and it's only when you have the urbanization and you have this incredibly rich mix of different people that come together in this new living setting, do you get that opportunity to interact with other voices and, and expand your view And again, of-
1: in many ways, like AI just amplifies again things we already see. And so it is actually known that in cities where you are immediately next to in the subway and so on, a lot of different cultures and ethnical backgrounds and, and languages and so on, you're actually less scared. Because you see it all the time, you still go to your job, life's okay. And you are less scared of that. So urbanization actually has helped us. And you see that also politically play out. If if you're worried about another, but you're actually not quite next to that other all the time, then you actually might get scared of the other. And and you mm-hmm. do see that. And there's, you know, some forms of, of tribalism that are deep ingrained. And some, you know, in some ways this globalization. It's hard for the human psyche that has evolved through such a long time to just adapt to this new world, where all of a sudden we can talk to everybody, you can have disinformation from everywhere in the world, and maybe also the right information from everywhere in the world, and it's a little overwhelming, and it creates a new kind of civilization.
0: If we look to the natural world and how species evolve, those generalist species, those species that can adapt and live in in different climates and environments, are usually those that are able to you know, transcend or evolve in in a world that is rapidly changing. And if you're very specific to a very specific niche and space and time and and environment, then it's actually very difficult to evolve and you either need to migrate to a space that's a lot like yours or essentially yeah become extinct. (laughs) There's only you migrate, you adapt or you become extinct. In that sense, and looking at AI and looking at the opportunities and the benefits that AI brings to society, how can we help people expand their openness to adopting, you know, these new technologies or this new way of using AI to advance our decision making to serve society?
1: So, so very concretely, how can we change the perception of AI? I think there's actually a lot of fear and a lot of hype on the positive side around ai and the truth as as always is somewhere in the middle you also see this uh, play out differently in different cultures the japanese actually their default view of robots and others is actually a positive thing as a helper and uh, mm-hmm. you see this in movie posters some interesting analysis of the same movie advertised in japan you see like the robot being a big helper and in the united states you often see like terminator and and other sort of sci-fi movies and that shape the perception of of what AI can do and the fears that people have and then of course it becomes very concrete automation can be scary when parts of your job are automated but again we have to I think educate people about the complexity and I'll make a very concrete example of the impact of jobs and the complexity of it with just Salesforce we do sales service marketing. If in sales, you have an AI that helps you prevent making calls that people don't want to get to sell them product they don't want, and instead you allow them based on some AI algorithm recommendation engine to only call people who actually want to buy your product. Mm -hmm. We see big uptake in sales and nobody in their right mind in a company would say, well, our salespeople are 50% more efficient. Let's just get rid of 50% of them so we sell less again just like before. You'll just be happy you make more sales. So AI there has pretty much no impact on the number of jobs. They're just making the jobs more efficient and people just are better at their jobs. Now, in service, a lot of companies see that as a cost center. They don't appreciate how important it is for for their brand or something. And some, you know, it's it's different, of course, across different companies, some see it as a cost center. So if they could automatically answer 50% of incoming service calls with an AI or a chatbot and so on, then they might say, well, good, then we save 50% of our service cost. Of course, as we're seeing this happening or we'll see this happen next year to at most five like we we are now educating the CEOs of the companies that also use Service Cloud and try to tell them like you need to think about all your stakeholders, including your employees and think about what they could do. Could they be trained to do cross and upselling if a service case was very quickly and successfully mm-hmm. and happily answered by an AI and then a person comes in and says, hey, maybe you're, you know, enjoyed right. this experience. Maybe you want something else. But It depends it depends on on the companies some say well all our goal for services highest customer satisfaction scores quickly cheaply and and as long as that's optimized we're just going to try to save as much money as we can now the third thing in marketing as Mm -hmm. our third biggest cloud I think there will actually be new kinds of jobs that are created with AI, right. where you can now create marketing campaigns that are highly personalized if you understand how to use AI, how to use sentiment, how to use computer vision, you find your brand, you see if people have already interacted with your brand in some kind of way online, on social media, and, and then you target them in a way that is only specific to what you think they actually want.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so people who understand how to use those kinds of tools, there will be all kinds of new jobs for that. And in general, We have to have some humility also in how far we can make predictions about Mm -hmm. AI and jobs and this narrative. And just give you one example. In 1969, the first internet came about, ARPANET, and so the precursor to the internet, and then maybe a decade later even, you could have asked the main experts on the internet who invented TCP IP and networking protocols, and you asked, what's the impact of this new medium on jobs in 40 years? Zero of the experts at the time would have predicted to have a Twitter social media marketing manager position. Zero. AI will have an even bigger impact than the Internet. And so to try to make predictions of which kinds of jobs will be there once some others are automated, it's almost impossible. But I have no doubts that human ingenuity will find you.
0: Well, you know it's interesting about what she said. It's all, it's all about how you communicate the narrative. When we talk That's about right. AI and the workforce, then why is it we have to talk about people being displaced by artificial intelligence can we imagine a world where the executives are, are you know valuing the people that they have in their ecosystem in their in their companies and providing in a way AI tools to help them do their job better as you're saying with Salesforce to find the right market for the right products and instead of looking at displacing people with robotics with AI, looking at how AI can help people within the workforce that we commit to to advance their careers, allow them to be more creative in their jobs. Is there a way that we can shift the narrative to we're not really talking about loss of jobs or loss of workforce, but we're committed to you workforce. We're looking at how we can optimize you in the workforce to do your job better. To advance your own creative intelligence, we're committed to helping you evolve to be the best salesperson, you know, shopkeeper um, that you can be.
1: And there are people who, you know, try to talk about this. And again, the future and AI is, is kind of complex. One, it almost never makes sense to talk about AI in the abstract. You always have to talk about AI plus X. Like, what are you actually? Where are you applying it to? What are the tasks that you're looking at? And the truth of the matter is, there are probably some areas where what you said is absolutely true. There's some others where most people would agree they don't even care about creating jobs, they care about the outcomes. So in medicine, nobody wants to create more medical jobs. You actually wanna create healthy people in medicine as quickly and as cheaply as you can, and as you know, happily in the whole process. And so if instead of having to wait for sometimes days to get a radiology scan analyzed. And also there are a lot of countries that don't have trained radiologists. Actually a lot of of Africa, a lot of African countries don't have radiologists with all kinds of different specializations. And they're getting now scanners more and more cheaply because the old scanners are being sold to Africa. But often, and I heard some heartbreaking stories, a friend of mine, uh, she's a student at at Stanford in the medical school, and she said she literally had a kid die where the surgeon said he can't go in until he knows where and what to cut out, and that there's no radiologist who would understand the scan, they had the scanner too. It's a really eye-opening story. So again, we have to look at where can AI create efficiencies and positive use cases, Mm -hmm. and then talk about those as much as the downsides and you know there are downsides like I mentioned of bias and so on and sometimes you also have to be sort of realistic there are some sort of so-so technologies that will just kind of make it like slightly more automated but not that much better like self-checkouts not mm-hmm. that great of an invention don't make things don't create like a larger GDP they're just kind of do automate some probably not that exciting jobs. And similarly, like in service like old systems where you said press one for this, press two for that, press three for this. Right. Like who that, would love that,
0: that job? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a fun job before. And but automating like it in that kind of way without natural language processing where you can just have a natural conversation and quickly get your answer is also not that that much more of an efficiency gain. So the truth is complex. I do think in maybe a hundred years. People may look back at our age and think about driving from A to B and B to A and back and forth like all day, maybe similarly as, you know, agricultural work in the past before tractors. At the same time, we need to now think about how do we reskill the people and how do we get excited about the future, depending on how long they want to stay in the workforce and continue to learn. And I think this like beginner's mindset, trying to continuously learn new kinds of skills and be excited about what can happen and how you can do more creative things with your time. I think that is a big question on how we can use education and to some degree, you can call it marketing too, to help people be excited about that future and see the upsides. I think it's also kind of interesting. I sometimes feel like there are countries that are good at getting the upside from AI and execute very well on that. But then often those actually are not as good as protecting against the downsides of AI. Having a good social safety net, unemployment benefits, healthcare that comes, you know, as being a citizen, not related to a company, and all of that. I wish the two could kind of marry in a lot of more of the countries.
0: So the the AI technology has just in a way accentuated the importance of investing in the people. the base, investing in people, investing Absolutely. in yeah that net at the bottom, and then also ensuring that. We have new opportunities for people to continue to grow and evolve in the society. I love the fact that you've contextualized this conversation with the different iterations of society and how we we were at once an agricultural nation, we were you know then uh, an industrial nation, and there were other jobs at that point in time, and you know now we're moving away from uh, information technology to you know interacting with our artificial intelligent technology, and yeah. so being able to think about you know, what's possible in the future even as jobs may disappear I think it was something like 85% of the workforce will change but there'll be that many new jobs then available in the future.
1: I'm sure in many so, ways like when you when you make the basics the necessities of life cheaper and more affordable, people can spend their time on higher and more interesting goals.
0: So what is it that we actually fear? If that's really the context and, you know, in a way, AI could help make our lives better, crack open the creative intelligence box, is it just that we don't know what those jobs are yet and so we'll have to sort of dynamically design our world moving forward at a pace and scale that people aren't used to?
1: The unknown is definitely scary to a lot of people it's also a certain type of creativity that will be needed right and there's some more creative people that can think of these new kinds of jobs but creativity is also it's partly a skill not a skill that's taught as well and it's actually also hard to teach and so it it is understandable also if you're you know towards the end of your career in a job that gets automated and you lose like maybe three or four years and it might take you a year to gain a new skill like we have to acknowledge that it's going to be hard and as some jobs change. Not everybody wants change. Not everybody likes change, right? It's a pretty deep down kind of preference for some people. And so yeah, we have to think about these well,
0: things. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the characteristic of a person. What are the kinds of characteristics or skills or ways that we can reskill our workforce? And to your point, we don't teach enough about creativity. We don't you know have as many places where we can go to Unlock sort of the the unique individual's offering to the world. What would you at Salesforce recommend that you know we, we do insofar as trying to find uh, ways that we can again unlock sort of the the optimal person.
1: So it, it is a it is a very individual kind of question, and I don't think there's true answer. And then I also have to acknowledge that I'm not an expert in like child education and and, and so on. But my sort of layman's opinion is that you probably need a mix between allowing some kids to have free time too, where they're just bored and they have to come up with new ideas themselves, as well as having just strong education where you support them if they're moving quickly through the curriculum and you make it challenging and fun for them. And I think some very concrete things for for the future are the studies and teaching of computer science. It is kind of absurd that computer science is not a mandatory subject in most schools in the world. Even if you don't want to become a programmer, you might want to become a lawyer or an artist or whatever, it's still useful to understand how computers work at the very fundamental level. That is a very concrete step that I would encourage most countries to do. And
0: Certainly, as you suggested, and AI is going to permeate all of society, every industry, that no matter whether you are a biologist or a lawyer or a shopkeeper, there will be a need to be AI ready.
1: Concretely, what I like about our AI strategy at Salesforce is that it actually does come with Trailhead, which is our learning platform. We try to gamify learning new skills. You have badges, you have trails, and then you get to certain levels. It's also open, public, anybody can learn it. And if you've solved a bunch of these kinds of problems, you get a bunch of badges, people will probably reach out to you to try to get a job. I think this kind of idea where if you are motivated, at the very least, there should be no barriers to you learning more. I love like massive online classes, MOOCs like uh, Udacity and Coursera and Trailhead and other kind of learning platforms. Some are more, more general about, you know, all kinds of uh, undergraduate curricula type things. Others are more geared towards particular job skills. And both of those are, are super useful. I love that idea that a lot of my classes, also formerly from Stanford, where, where I was teaching the last four years, are online. They're on YouTube, and they have hundreds of thousands or millions of views on YouTube. And that feels actually really great. People who have the desire to learn, actually nowadays it's much easier to learn. But you have to also acknowledge that it's like not every kid wants to learn as much as, as some others. And so it's still important to have sort of government structure to, to help like, educate people.
0: One last question. So again, we're looking at technology for good. So how can we use artificial intelligence and machine learning for good? There are all kinds of technology that you can imagine that can be unlocked to help us deal with the multitude of crises, issues of the environment in the ocean. Could you just illuminate a few of them, give us some stories of how AI is showing up to help us um, save our oceans?
1: Sure. I think the oceans are, are one aspect that AI has a lot of applications for good. And we are now also growing a team inside Salesforce Research on looking at AI for good applications. You can use AI to count sharks and corals and fish and whales and try to automate keeping track of where certain fish are. Doug, who runs the Benioff Ocean Institute, and just Santa Barbara, for instance, keeps track in a database of all the giant sea bass there are sadly only about 500 left, and they have certain dotted patterns. AI can basically kind of identify which particular giant sea bass. They get huge, like 500 pounds. They look like fish. They're actually quite amazing. Basically, I can help sort of keep track of where nature's headed. You can use satellite imagery to identify deforestation. You can use satellite imagery to identify where there are refugee camps that are growing, or they're just displacement because villages are getting burned down. You can use AI in healthcare in a lot of places to make access to radiology much, much cheaper and hence um, bring it to more places in the world. You can use AI in agriculture to prevent water waste and the usage of pesticides by having robotic arms that get rid of weeds instead of using pesticides and watering each particular lettuce leaf, for instance, individually using AI, computer vision, and robotics. Uh, there's a company called Blue River that has done this in the last couple of years. Mm. You can use vertical farming in close to cities or inside cities and have robots essentially use zero pesticides because you make sure there are no bugs, there are no weeds in like a closed system and have robots basically tend to a lot of food. You put some solar yep. panels on that. I mean, you could create quite an amazing future with the technology Did you just come up there.
0: with that or did you know about AeroFarms? Did you know, David? I,
1: I knew vertical yeah. farming. Because
0: I interviewed him earlier oh, today, really? oh, so no it's way. brilliant. Just are they already eliminated. using
1: solar panels too and robots? I've
0: got to connect you guys. All they right, are, that they, would be awesome there's so much potential and yet you know it's just about making those those right connections so one last question what excites you most about the future the future of AI the future of our global society responding to you know the seminal issues of our time around the environment working more collaboratively what excites you most about technology helping partner in creating a a better world.
1: What I love about AI the most is actually, and it's maybe a cop-out answer, but it's actually the breadth that it spans from, on the one side, telling us who we are as a species, which is, we largely define ourselves through our intelligence. Like, we're not as kind as I would like to be to other animals that we don't think are as smart as we are. And intelligence is quite close to the core of what makes us human Mm -hmm. and ai trying to replicate some of those abilities kind of tells us also like people thought oh the most intelligent people are the really good chess players so once we solve chess we'll solve all these other ai problems and then chess was solved and people realized that it was actually not that hard and like the world hasn't really changed so i could go on for a long time maybe even postulating in a long distant uh, sort of sci-fi future to which we have currently no credible research path but you know AGI and maybe another step function in intelligence and what that could lead and all kinds of interesting scenarios there and that's one side of the spectrum i mean the other one you go all the way to some very concrete applications you can improve radiology and pathology and food production and and service and and marketing and get less annoying like advertisement if it's you know more geared towards things you would actually want to see and click on and and, you know that's in a positive way and and of course like you know real issues of bias and getting you changing elections uh, through these same marketing tools. And in the end, you realize like all these tools that we have right now, they're only as good as the people and organizations that use them. And that's what it still is. AI is a tool and it's an extremely powerful tool. It can uh, improve companies a lot. It can improve people's lives and makes them more convenient a lot. And basically that's the whole spectrum of AI. Useful applications right now, big impact. Every industry is being changed. Things are more efficient. Boring, repetitive task being automated, and then all the way of telling us who we are as a species, and you know, where that will lead to is like, okay, what what makes us human? If we can basically have AI, make food for us, build houses, transport, like do a lot of these things. What does that mean for us as a species in the end? Where 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 does that lead to? Is it creativity? Is it empathy? Will we revalue more the kinds of empathetic jobs like helping the elderly and, and jobs that are currently unfortunately not? as valued. And that is, again, a concern. And I could go back and forth. This this, this spectrum is what what excites me about AI. It's basically everything, and in many cases, AI holds a mirror to our faces and tells us who we are.
0: What a powerful note to end on, that AI is actually a reflection of humanity. So it's not really about the technology, it's about how we apply it, and that really takes us back to human consciousness and how we decide to evolve our future. It's, It's a choice. That's right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. GMT. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.